23-1182 Western Missouri, Brent Black v. Doris Falkenrath. Ms. Hernandez. Good morning. May it please the court. I'm here today representing the appellant in this Speak case. Speak up a little or move the mic. <laughs> I'm here today representing the appellant in this case, Brent Black. Um, the United States District Court for the Western District below granted a certificate of appealability on two issues in this case. The first issue was whether it was correct in denying the underlying motion for, or the underlying claim of ineffective assistance of trial counsel, in that trial counsel failed to submit a lesser included instruction for the offense, for the charged offense of mar murder in the second degree. And the second issue that a COA was issued on concerned whether the district court was correct in finding that Mr. Black was unable to have an evidentiary hearing or present additional evidence. Strikes me if you don't win that issue, we don't need to reach the first issue. The lower district court and then some other courts in the meantime have found that you first address the issue of the underlying and effective assistance of trial counsel claim, and then you go back. Do you what, 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 I don't think the district court here did. What, what, what case are you relying on? You did. Well, the district court here first determined that. If, if, if the, well, if, if Shin applies, was correctly applied by the district court, then you don't get a, a, a hearing just on, um, you, you have to satisfy 2254E2 on the record in the state court. So the only argument on the merits is, and, and you make it in your brief, that the state court record is sufficient to conclude ineffective assistance of trial counsel. But that's not the argument that that would that would have been made had, when the district court first ordered a Martinez hearing. Correct, right? which which came before the Shin case. Right. And then following the district court, following the Shin case, it canceled the evidentiary hearing to first consider solely the merits. So, so are you suggesting that there are now district courts who have? interpreted Shin differently than the district court did? No, I agree. The district court handled it correctly okay. procedurally. Um, so because the law in Shin requires us to first consider the um, merits of the underlying um, ineffective assistance of trial counsel claim, I'd like to start there. So, in this case, um, Mr. Black was charged with um, 
child abuse, which is not an issue in this case, and then also um, second-degree murder. The jury found him guilty on both counts. There was no, in the lower courts below, as well as the pleadings here, um, it, there was no disagreement that had this instruction been offered um, to the trial court that it would have been submitted by the jury under Missouri law. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the crux of the issue here in this case was how the child was injured. The state put on two experts, and both of those experts said that it re- she had multiple points of impact and that this resulted in injury which caused um, hemorrhaging in the brain. And that's how she ultimately died. The defense expert stated that he had never examined the child as the other two doctors did for the state. However, he stated that the child's injuries were caused as a lack of oxygen to the brain, which resulted in hypoxia and subsequently the the hemorrhaging that was found. Um, And the defendant's account um, went along with the findings of the defense expert. He um, stated that he had gone to the child, found the child with a baby wipe in her mouth, tried to pull it out, pushed it further into her throat, um, then got pliers to remove it, and then had subsequently dropped the child on the way to her mother. So in both accounts, both the defense's accounts, um, they were consistent, um, both with the expert witness as well as with the um, Mr. Black's account of events. Um, Trial counsel here was ineffective in failing to include a lesser-included offense instruction for involuntary manslaughter for a few ways. First of all, because the jury was faced only with the charges of child abuse and the charges of um, murder in the second degree, it was not able to consider any lesser charges. And see, I'm, the, I'm, I'm just having trouble... My my notes say you're, you're, it was aired to deny an evidentiary hearing under Shin because you you're, you established precedent prejudice by showing prejudicial trial counsel ineffective assistance, which was more stronger than the claims reserved in a case such as then you cite Deck, and your table of authorities don't have a correct page size pagination. But, but you're both arguing Strickland. And as I read Shin, this is not a Strickland issue. I this believe is a statutory issue. Strickland is a judicial interpretation of, of, of EDPA. 2254E2 controls. I agree. Okay. And, and so why was there error in, in denying the evidentiary hearing? Unless you can show on the state court record, which was not the way it was argued in the brief. I believe that the state court record supports a finding that 
um, both trial counsel was ineffective in failing to raise this instruction, and in addition, post-conviction counsel was ineffective in failing to include this issue in the amended motion for post-conviction relief in the state court. Because... That's a Martinez claim. The second portion of it, yes. And and if the state court record is inadequate, that error is attributable to to, um, Black, even though the error was conducted by post-conviction counsel, because that's not constitutionally required counsel. So post-conviction counsel's errors count against Mr. Black, and, and, and failing to and, present, and, and, you're, and you're left with whatever trial counsel and appellate counsel put in the state court record. I would agree. Yeah, but so I don't. So so why are we why are we talking about a cause prejudice hearing? Well, I think that that's the second step. I think the first determination... No, it's not. Well, Shin doesn't say that. Well, Shin, first Shin of all... says it's over and done unless you win on the state court record. If you win on the state court record, you don't need a cause prejudice hearing. Right? I mean, it's possible that there could be a cause and prejudice hearing based on post-convictions counsel. I completely agree that the state court record is what you... If you win on the state court record, you didn't need post-conviction counsel. I'm sorry, can you say that again? Pardon? I didn't hear you. If you win on the state court record, why do you need post-conviction counsel to have done something different? Because we're still have the burden of proving that post-conviction counsel was ineffective in addition to trial court counsel. Should should I continue on or did you have another question? I, I, I find Shin very, very difficult to put in place. And everybody in the briefs all talking about Strickland, and I read Shin, and they say, no, 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 this isn't Strickland analysis. This is statutory analysis. Right, right. And so particularly the particularly the the, uh, uh, the, the state's brief here, I, I I just it's like Shin wasn't even ever decided. Right. Well, I think that Shin. Um greatly limits the ability of federal habeas petitioners to um, present their Martinez claims in federal court. Before before Shen, many courts were granting evidentiary hearings on the merits of the underlying ineffective assistance of trial counsel claim. Shen came along and said, yeah, you can still raise these claims um, that were previously in your post-conviction appeal However, you are limited to what's in the state court record. Yeah. And so you can still bring your Martinez claims. You just can't expand the record on the claims. So I think Shin had a deep it's impact. It's not a Martinez claim. It's, it, on the state court record, it's the trial counsel and, and appellate counsel didn't raise a valid constitutional claim. I, I agree. 
But because it wasn't raised in state court, not on Mr. Black's direct appeal and not on his post-conviction proceedings, it was procedurally defaulted. And the cause and prejudice gets him around that procedural so, default. So now you have, under Coleman, you, you, don't, you, you don't get Martinez. You have to use Coleman to, to get cause and prejudice. I understand what I you're mean, saying. It, it is... It does, it does appear that, as a practical matter, Shin guts Martinez. I find it hard to contemplate a, a Martinez issue that survives the Shin analysis. But I think the court was very explicit in recognizing that. I, I, and, and the briefs do not. Well, I agree on the vast amount of cases because the claim wasn't raised in state court. It cannot then, it would be highly unlikely that a claim that wasn't raised in state court would have the evidentiary support in the state court record for a claim that was never raised. I agree. And so it limits the ability to bring those claims into and, federal court. And Shen leaves you with that. Exactly. I, I do argue that that's the state a, that's court... That's a rock Sisyphus couldn't, couldn't, help, couldn't handle. Well, I do agree that... Ever. Yeah. I do find that the state court record is sufficient to establish his ineffective assistance of counsel claim. I will save the last couple of minutes I have left for rebuttal. Thank you. Mr. Clark? Good morning, Your Honor. May it please the court. <clears throat> Mr. Black received a fair trial. Uh, he then had a, a full and fair opportunity to press claims on direct appeal. Uh, after his conviction was affirmed and it became final, he received a full and fair opportunity to present post-conviction claims in state court. Uh, Mr. Black did not raise the single claim in front of this court today that uh, counsel was ineffective for not requesting first-degree involuntary manslaughter instruction. Now, uh, this court, when speaking uh, to my friend here, expressed uh, that it appears that the parties did not recognize that Shin was decided. Um, you know, I believe sub one in the appellee's brief. So in most cases, whether or not a petitioner can satisfy 2254E2 will be the entire ballgame. It will decide everything in front of the court and that's because there is no evidence in the state court record. And that's what Shin is discussing. Shin stating that while it didn't overrule Martinez, for most cases, for the overwhelming majority of federal cases that are federal uh, habeas cases that are on procedurally defaulted claims, there will be no evidence in the record to allow a court to determine the IAC claim. Now, uh, in an assert, an amicus petition filed uh, during Shin on behalf of Missouri, or as Missouri is a signatory, explained that there may be some claims, some odd fringe claims that can exist um, even inside the E2 bar. Now, as Shin recognized, federal habeas is designed to only prevent extreme malfunctions of state court law. So uh, these cases are almost comical in their creation. Uh, imagine a, uh, a defense attorney who during closing argument comes up to the jury and says, jury, I spoke to my client just five minutes ago, 
And he said he's guilty. He did it. And he thinks you are so dense that you'll let him go. Uh, and if that claim wasn't raised in you know, PCR. We're not here to refight the, the Missouri separate brief in, in Shin. Apply Shin to this case, please. Yes, Your Honor. So Shin in this case, it, 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 it defeats Mr. Black's claim. So because uh, he did not raise his claim in state assume, court. But assume that, that there is IAC on the state court record. If there was I, if if we were to assume that there was ineffective assistance of counsel on the state court record, well, if we conclude it, if you conclude, Shin says we have to examine that because that's what the statute says. Yes, if you conclude after reviewing the state court record that counsel was ineffective, there is still a question of whether or not uh, it can be excused under Martinez. And I know it's it's odd. No, it's, but but Martinez is gone. It's it's it, we're back to Coleman, aren't we? Not entirely, Your Honor. In Brown v. Davenport, the U.S. Supreme Court explained that to get relief, a petitioner must satisfy both the Supreme Court's equitable precedents and the statutory requirements. So even if a litigant could satisfy E2 and present new evidence in court, they would have to satisfy uh, the Martinez, the procedural default question, to, to receive relief. Now, I, I, uh, you must sat- it says what? You must satisfy the statute and... The equitable precedents. So, but, but Martinez is not an equitable precedent. But procedural default is, Your Honor. And in Martinez, they explained that the court was creating an equitable, uh, narrow equitable exception to the Coleman uh, idea of procedural default. So in Coleman, uh, the court explained that uh, procedural defaulted claims are exhausted, but they're technically exhausted. Um, and, and the, what Martinez said is that it was, it was created in... What, what case has held, has held a, uh, a, after Shin, what case has held a Martinez hearing? Uh, there are none, Your Honor, that I know of particularly. There are district courts, and I'm not, and, and, and it's in the Ninth Circuit, kind of in capital litigation afterwards. Uh, there have been district courts that have uh, allowed parties to return to state court, finding claims unexhausted to... Uh, hold what might be quasi-Martinez hearings. Uh, I, 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 don't, I can write a 28-J letter if you'd like, Your Honor. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact confines of those cases in well, district court. Are they, are they unpublished filed decisions, or are they just arguments? They're, they'd be decisions of the district courts, Your Honor, um, and allowing, you know, return to state court to exhaust claims that were exhausted prior to Shin. Uh, Shin... Has has, a, has made it so that in most situations, um, the failure to present a claim in state court will lead to that claim being denied. That's just how it works, uh, and that's because there. If you haven't asked about trial counsel's reasons for for not presenting, if I would I would like to I would like you to submit those twenty eight J's if if they're. If they're analytical opinions, if they're one-line orders, I don't care. Okay, Your Honor, I will search the the, uh, the district courts to see if there if there have been. Here, the, what what courts have done is they place the cart before the horse. They decide. But what Shin requires is is that they decide the the, the issue on the state law record, uh, and then once they decide the the issue on the state law record, they say no reason for a Martinez hearing. See Shin, because you can't succeed on the state court record. Uh, and here, that that's what occurred. Uh, the the Dunby Reeves, the U.S. Supreme Court said that you can't defeat the strong presumption of Strickland with nothing. 
The absence of evidence isn't evidence of a, of a, of a performance, uh, constitution, constitutionally de deficient performance. Now, that uh, would mean, for Mr. Black's case, that he loses. Now, the district court uh, found that on the state court record, there was uh, a evidence of a strategic reason. It explained that there was a strategic decision balancing uh, case preparation with expert testimony and, and Mr. Black's story that avoided inconsistencies um, from the lesser included instruction. Now, where it will be the case where the state or the court can divine some trial strategy reason from the record that they would that that it could be considered uh, under Strickland. Here, uh, the, the the state's position, the warden's position, is not that. E2 doesn't matter. E2 is the entire ballgame. And because, he, because Mr. Black can't prove E2, he cannot get around. He cannot displace the Strickland presumption. So uh, on that record, because he has, we don't know why, why the uh, trial counsel did what they did. We don't know why trial counsel decided not to uh, provide a lesser. We don't know if they thought about it. The only thing we have is, is kind of... Uh, looking at, at ghosts raised from other uh, things that are in the record. For example, uh, there's a colloquy about the, the predicate felony for felony murder, abuse of a child. The court asked if, if Mr. Black was going to request a lesser included on that, on that charge, and Mr. Black said, no, I'm not going to. Now, as the district court found, uh, there's no affirmative evidence of ratification uh, of Mr. Black ratifying that or ratifying um, not raising the lesser included on the felony murder, uh, we're left to kind of divine what we think counsel did. And that's why Shin's important, uh, Judge Loken, is that what Shin says is that because Mr. because Mr. Black did not raise the claim in state court, he can't now come to federal court and ask the court to, to divine what the purposes of, of counsel were, to try to figure out maybe what happened. And that's what we have to do on these records. So I, I respectfully, I, I, the word decision is not that Shin wasn't decided. The question is that in, with Shin and with E2, if he can't satisfy E2, he cannot satisfy Strickland and his claim fails. Now, to, and, and, and the duty of candor, there are some claims that will succeed. I'm looking at the analysis part of Shin. Yes. There's no citation to Davenport. There may be earlier in the opinion. I don't have the, yes, Your Honor. the whole opinion. Uh, but the end, the, the end of the analysis is a Martinez hearing is improper if the newly developed evidence never would entitle the prisoner to federal habeas relief. Correct, Your Honor. That, so so how, can it, how can a district court send you back for more exhaustion uh, well, in, in, <laughs> without violating that, that holding? Your Honor, it would be our position that, it, that that is incorrect, and we've argued that case, uh, in other capital cases that these claims are exhausted. This isn't a capital case. I know I understand, but capital cases are where where federal habeas kind of is stretched to its They're also different. Yes, Your period. Honor. Even the Supreme Court occasionally will acknowledge that. Yes, but even even if you if you consider that Coleman said that claims that were procedurally defaulted were exhausted, they met the technical requirements for exhaustion. Uh, now, Martinez recognized an exception to that, uh, a narrow exception to that, an equitable exception. Uh, it did not change the ultimate idea that those claims were defaulted. So in, in most cases, that I, I want to be, in, in Mr. Black's case, 
the fact that his claim is defaulted and that he can't and he cannot satisfy E two means he loses. This I court thought you were saying that courts are inter interpreting this Brown v. v. Davenport as as file as recognizing more equitable exceptions than just Martinez. I, I don't think they're necessarily recognizing it as recognizing well, more because the Supreme Court here holds you don't get a Martinez hearing. Period. Yes, Your Honor, and I think that what district courts may be doing, and I, I, I don't want to state that I know what they're doing because those cases I haven't read thoroughly, are what district courts are doing is, is that litigants are arguing, yes, I said a claim was exhausted, but now it's not. And, and courts are like, have a Ryan stay, go back and consider it. If I were a litigant in one of those proceedings, Your Honor, I'd be seeking relief that says, yeah. no, those claims are exhausted, and those claims should be decided I've on the state court. I've been through record. Ryan's, and I've been through Coleman, and I've been through Martinez. Yes. Yeah, that's what aggressive yes. and, and, defense counsel do. Yes, Your Honor, and, and if this court uh, uh, concludes ignore, and writes... Ignore the Supreme Court precedent they don't like. Uh, Your Honor, I'm not asking you to do that. And In fact, if this court concludes uh, and writes an opinion that says Mr. Black can't satisfy 2254E2, therefore his claim fails yeah, in the state court. That's why I'd like, to, I'd like to have you submit any, any of these decisions that have any... Brown v. Davenport reasoning. Okay, I will, Your Honor. And Brown, and I don't want to mislead the court here. Brown v. Davenport, the Supreme Court, uh, it was decided ab about the same time as, as Shin, and it and it came out that you know that some courts were were thinking that if you could satisfy Martinez, you could present evidence, and and the and this circuit had a similar precedent that uh, if you could satisfy Martinez, you could present evidence, and there you go. Um, and and what Brown v. Davenport in deciding a, a different claim of Brecht error in 2254D uh, said, no, you have to satisfy the statutory requirements. And this court cannot uh, ex you know, um, excuse a litigant from satisfying the statutory requirements. However, this court is also, the Supreme Court has also decided uh, equitable procedural bars and other claims, and you had to satisfy those too. So if you don't satisfy uh, there the Brecht standard and the EDPA standard, you couldn't get relief. Now, Applying that to to uh, the procedural default question here, you have to satisfy E2. Mr. Black didn't even attempt to in district court, and therefore he loses. Whether he could later satisfy Martinez is a question of, of no importance to the district court because he didn't satisfy E2. Um, now, you ask what, what the what why someone might want a Martinez hearing. Um, respectfully, I, I, what we've seen is that some litigants believe they can get a Martinez hearing present evidence on the issue of procedural default and that they can somehow squeeze that into the merits analysis. And that and that's what we've been fighting in, in capital cases. I know they're different, but things of that nature is that there are, the question for Strickland is always going to be in a defaulted claim, can you satisfy E2? Now, there may be some, you know, crazy, extreme uh, claim that exists on the state court record um, and, and it's full and it's full extent. It can be reviewed by the court, but in most cases, like the case here, that won't be true. That there'll be unanswered questions about why counsel did something, about why counsel didn't do something, and and Dunby Reeves fills that gap. It says you cannot beat the Strickland presumption. You cannot displace the Strickland presumption with the absence of evidence. Something or nothing doesn't beat something essentially. So on on those claims. Shin defeats Mr. Black's claim, and we would ask 
If there are no further questions, that this court affirm the district court's judgment. I do have one question that's unrelated to what you've argued, but I'm just curious. Um, because we don't have access to everything that took place at the original trial of this matter, yes, um, which makes it hard for somebody to say on this record you can divine ineffective assistance of counsel. I mean, nobody's bothered to put into this record before the state court the whole record and then get it up here in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there any what was, was there any discussion or anything that happened in response to the jury question about whether or not they could reach? Uh, the lesser included offense because you know my experience as a trial judge says yeah a lot of times at that point we have lawyers and everybody talks about what should we do how do we answer the question what's our position and I could imagine that uh, that uh, the lawyer could have waived something and said man it's all or nothing because you know we think the evidence supports our conclusion and we don't want to make it easy for the jury to convict on something else. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that took place like that in the record any place that, that I've just overlooked? or None that not- I know of, Your Honor. There may have been something that occurred, you know, in the court or something that was decided, but it doesn't appear on the record. And that's, just, yeah, that's, and that's the problem with, with trying to avoid E2 and decide the Martinez claim. You shouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. E2 should decide this case. Thank you. Rebuttal, Ms. Hernandez. I have just a, I have just a couple of final points that I wanted to bring up. Um, first, Tip the mic a little bit. Um, first, the state court record here establishes that trial counsel was ineffective, and it also establishes that post conviction counsel was ineffective. So if the state court record fully supports um, the underlying claim as well as... Uh, you, you skipped over appellate counsel. I, I oh, I'm sorry. I said post-conviction counsel instead. Um, but you're right. The appellate counsel. Um, the state court record completely supports the finding that both of those attorneys were ineffective. I just find it hard to believe that you can actually make that argument with a straight face. I mean, here's the deal. Um, You've got an expert that supports the uh, defendant's version of the story. Uh, You've got a lawyer who could conceivably make a decision that uh, it's appropriate uh, that we're going to do this. We have no evidence that that what happened in light of the jury question at all, so that can't stand for evidence that, well, the jury asked this question, therefore it wasn't a tactical decision, it wasn't, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a definitive choice. There's no evidence from which you could say the defendant wasn't actually consulted on it, didn't make the, the call himself. I mean, as a guy who's tried cases, there are times you go to the defendant and say, hey, the nested Lester included uh, could result in acquittal, but if we give that instruction, it's going to guarantee your conviction. You tell me, you know, what do you want to do, right? We don't even have that here. And so now you're saying that the evidence makes plain that there's, you know, some sort of ineffective assistance of counsel. We don't know what the lawyer decided, why they decided, who said what to whom. Um, and you don't have a right to a hearing on that uh, because it's been procedurally defaulted. I agree that the claim's been procedurally defaulted and that an evidentiary hearing cannot be um, had to produce evidence from that underlying ineffective assistance of trial counsel claim. 
Um, as far as the other portion of what you were saying, this is a case where the jury could have found Mr. Blount guilty of lesser included offense. For involuntary manslaughter, he had to act recklessly. A jury could have found that he acted recklessly by finding the child blue, and rather than immediately calling 911, he tried to look in her mouth and then put his fingers in his ma her mouth, pushing it farther down her throat. And then when that didn't work, going to, into the other room to get needle, needle nose pliers and trying to get it out of her mouth that way. Um, then carrying the child to her mother and then walking over to the neighbor's house all before 911 was ever called. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a strong argument that the jury could have found him guilty of that offense. And second of all, the jury instructions support that. I, I apologize. The jury questions support that. In this case, the jury asked the court, what do we have to prove to establish second-degree murder? And we don't know who discussed what or what decisions were made or why based on this record. What we're... Well, here's the thing. The question comes in, right? And then there's a question that goes like, how do we answer the question? What do we do? What do we do? And, you know, there's an open question in, in, in like that I've never found an answer to. Maybe there's an answer to it someplace. But when is a timely request for an included instruction? And I know that lawyers have historically, like defense lawyers, made the argument that a timely request can be made in response to a jury question. And they've asked about a lesser included, and judge, we ought to give it. Then the government might say, no way, it's too late, it's not timely. Then the judge decides whether it's timely or not. But we don't know uh, what happened at all, because I've had this question in trials, and as a state judge, where you know the lawyer consults with the client and stands up and says, we don't want the lesser included judge. You know, the idea being that, that forced to decide, we think we're getting at least a hung jury out of this. That's a tactical decision human beings make. And you're arguing like, well, in light of the question, nobody could make that decision. I don't understand that. Well, the response that was given to the jury following their questions of what's required for murder two, can we give a lesser included offense twice, we can't reach an answer to um, what he should be found guilty of. I think that strongly supports that. And they were not given answers to those questions. For every one of those, they Which were Which would be the answer if you said, make them decide on the, on, the, on the evidence that's in and make them decide on the charge that's given. Right? right? You understand, you know, I, I mean, this case is close, right? And, you know, much is made of the fact that, well, there was, uh, the baby wasn't examined by the expert, and somehow that expert's therefore not reliable. Well, as a guy who tried cases, I can tell you that, you know, oftentimes uh, the victims are buried. And the question is, do you exhume the body, or do you rely on the autopsy, and do you rely on the examinations that were done by others? And we do that all the time. You know, and well, now you've got this case, you've made your argument, and you think you have something that holds together, and you say, the jury is, is hung up on this. And our choice is direct a verdict on the lesser included, or roll the dice. And a lot of times at that point, the defendant chooses to roll the dice. Right? So I don't see how it can be just plainly apparent that there is ineffective assistance. But whatever, I'm, I'm arguing not really asking a question. I'm sorry, and I apologize for that. Um, 
May I have one final moment to address the last issue? Um, there are um, cases that have come out from the Fifth Circuit and from the Tenth Circuit, which goes along with the idea that following Shin, what should happen is that the case should be um, decided on the merits. And then if the defendant succeeds there, it is to go on to a um, consideration about whether the claim is procedurally defaulted under Martinez. Um, and I, I would be happy to provide some additional information about that in a 28-J. If you're referring to published or decisions that aren't, aren't in the brief, please submit them with 28-J letters. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. It's not an easy issue. It's been uh, effectively briefed and argued. And Ms. Hernandez, we court appreciates your, your assistance as, uh, under the Criminal Justice Act. And we will take the case under advisement.